The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. My name is Kim Whetstone, and I am one of the pastors here at Parkview. And over the past few weeks, we have been doing a study of the Psalms. And if you're not familiar, the book of the Psalms is a collection of hymns and songs that have been used in Jewish and Christian worship for centuries. Now, the name of the series that we're doing is Playlist. And we're asking the question, have we been hearing the lyrics to these beloved psalms? Have we been hearing the lyrics correctly? So if you'll engage with me for just a minute, I have a couple questions for you. So outside of what I just read a few moments ago, I want to ask you, when was the last time that you heard that psalm read? Where were you? What were you doing? Anyone? You were at a funeral, right? And can you tell me, what is that psalm? No one knows. No one knows. No, what is this psalm? What is this psalm? Psalm 23, right? Within American culture, author after author refers to this psalm as being the most beloved psalm in American culture. And yet for most of us, when we've heard this song, we have been in close proximity to death. We've either been at the bedside of a loved one who is dying at a funeral or processing a horrible illness of a loved one who is approaching death. It's one of those scriptures that just kind of stays in the Bible until death comes. And then we open up the word and we read it, or we hear it again and again at funerals. And the truth is this, as pastors, we're told in seminary that this is where you go, that this is the psalm you go to when you're preparing for a funeral. It's precisely because of this connection to death that when most of us think about Psalm 23, we don't go, yes, Psalm 23, that is my life verse. Give me some of that, right? 
And for those of us who love tattoos, we aren't running to the tattoo parlor saying, I'll take a sleeve of Psalm 23. And if you could really emphasize the whole valley of the shadow of death part, any way that you can make that stand out. I love suffering, please. That's what I want, right? This is just not what we're doing. But if we step back for a minute and we look at this psalm, we realize that it is actually filled with very empowering and hope-filled language. So it does indeed beg the question, are we hearing the lyrics correctly? According to Dr. William Holliday, who's an Old Testament scholar, he decided that he was going to do a study of Psalm 23 within American culture. And what he came to realize that prior to the Civil War, Psalm 23 was read as a hope-filled psalm. But in the midst of the Civil War in America, with so many people dying, this was the psalm that people went to for comfort. J. David Hacker, who is a Civil War historian, estimates that one out of every 10 men in the United States died, or over 750,000 men died in the process of the Civil War. So Psalm 23, again and again, quite literally hundreds of thousands of times, was read in proximity to death, to the wounded, to the fallen. And what happened was that within our culture, Psalm 23 became inextricably connected to this idea of death. In communication theory, there's actually a theory that captures this idea. It's called second-order semiotics. And when you take a sign, symbol, or text, and you place a different or a connotative meaning to it enough, it will actually begin to take on that new definition. But the amazing thing is that the original definition still stands buried somewhere beneath the surface. Biblical scholars place this psalm not in a psalm of lament, not as a psalm of mourning, not even as a psalm of comfort, but as a psalm of thanksgiving and a psalm of trust. You see, Psalm 23 is actually a psalm about life. So how do we begin to engage with this idea that Psalm 23 is actually a psalm about life? Well, there are a few things we need to do. First, we need to open ourselves up to the idea that we can look at this psalm in a new and a fresh way. And as we do that, we have to be open to the dismantling of our ingrained cultural understanding of Psalm 23. So can we open ourselves up to that possibility today? The other thing that we need to do is what we do in all good biblical study, which is that we're going to go back and try to understand the original context as much as possible so we can understand how the original readers, hearers, and worshipers would have engaged with this psalm. So what is it that we actually know about Psalm 23? What is it that we actually know about the context of Psalm 23? Well, the truth is, we don't know much about the very specific historical context or the very specific political context. 
at the exact moment that it was penned. But what we do know is that it is a psalm of David. And if you recall, David was the second king of Israel. He was a shepherd boy who was anointed to be the king by the prophet Samuel, while King Saul, the first king of Israel, was still on the throne. We know that David, as a shepherd boy, was brave. We know that as a warrior, he was brave. Because if you recall, he took down Goliath single-handedly. We also know that David knew what it was to really sin, right? Like he kind of had the whole sin thing in the bag, okay? So if you recall, David, you know, standing, sees Bathsheba off in the distance bathing, doesn't look away. He's like, oh, okay. And in the process, he decides to make sure that Bathsheba's husband is killed on the front lines in battle so that he can have her for his wife, Right? Like, not the greatest dude in that moment. But what we also know about David was that he knew what it was to repent greatly. And even though he sinned, even though he messed up, he was known because of his repentance and because of his heart to be a man after God's own heart. And it was with David that God made a covenant And it was through David that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came through David's line. But you see, as we look at David's life, in order to reflect on Psalm 23, we must take some time to reflect on the very important role that he was very familiar with. And that was the role of being a shepherd and knowing the ways of the sheep. As a shepherd, he knew that they were needed to guide and to protect the sheep so that the sheep could reach their destination intact. He knew that the status and the well-being of the sheep is a commentary on the goodness and the faithfulness of the shepherd. He knew that sheep could not provide for themselves and they needed a shepherd to help them find nourishment so they could survive. Without a shepherd's guidance, he was very aware of the flocking instincts of sheep. Knowing that they would follow one another right off cliffs. And even today, you can actually Google it. And you can find stories of sheep without shepherds who followed one after another. Hundreds of sheep following each other off dangerous cliffs to their death. He knew what it was to protect his sheep because he knew that there was dangerous prey. So on more than one occasion, David would have taken the herd and he would have gotten them into a cave. And he would have laid down in front of the opening of the cave with his rod and his staff there to protect the sheep. And just like Jesus in John 10, David knew that a good shepherd was willing to lay down his life for his flock. 
But you see, beyond David, the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep served as a powerful metaphor in the ancient Near East. Everyone knew the importance of shepherds and sheep. The economic, spiritual, and physical livelihood of Israel relied heavily on good shepherds who guaranteed the vitality of their sheep. And so David begins Psalm 23 using this rich, culturally relevant metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as he begins here, he says, the Lord. And the word here is Yehovah. The Lord, the one true, always existing God, the one true name of God, Jehovah, Yehovah, that was given to God's chosen covenant people. See, this is a deeply relational way that he's calling out to God. God, you remember, I am one of the chosen people that you promised. We're in this together. And then he moves on. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the King James Version of the Bible has done us a bit of an injustice here because it inserts the word is. But the way it actually reads is Yehovah Ra'ach. Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. God, the one I know, the one who has chosen me, the one who is committed to be faithful to me, my shepherd who protects me, who guides me, who saves me, you will make sure that I lack nothing of significance. Yehovah Ra'ah, Lord, my shepherd. In verse 2, he continues with this metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside still waters. In the ancient Near East, the image of green pastures was commonly used to signify the ideal place. I was listening to some rabbis talk about this piece of scripture, and one rabbi, Rabbi Sholomai, explains It's not that God is forcing them to lie down. It's that God is offering a place for them to lie down. He is leading us there to this place where we can lie down. And the the words lie down, he explains that that it's, it's less of us just kind of plopping on the ground. And it's this image of us sprawling out in lush green grass. Understanding that we are cared for, that we are loved, that we can actually relax because we are so well taken care of. And this idea is coupled in the saying that he leadeth me beside still waters. When we take it and we pair it with the imagery of the green pastures, it can best be understood that God is actively seeking for us, actively pursuing on our behalf a place where we can thrive. What powerful imagery. 
You see, when we take this psalm out of the category of being a deathbed psalm and we view it rightly, we understand that this imagery of green pastures and still waters is not imagery of heaven. This is not some text with an eschatological focus giving us a picture of what lies ahead in eternity at the end times. Rather, it invites us to trust and to see God at work here and now. To understand that God is actively seeking, actively finding, actively pursuing, actively advocating for us to be brought into the ideal place where we can thrive right now. And when we place this within the context of the New Testament and what we know about life and transformation in Christ, we are thriving when we are becoming most fully who God created us to be. Each and every one of us knows that at times our journeys are rough. And it becomes really hard to believe sometimes that God is leading us. But he is. And he tells us in verse 3 that he restores our soul and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That when we become weary on the journey, God will restore us. God will revitalize us. God will give us rest. God will ensure that we have what it takes to make it along our way as we follow him. And this word righteousness here is so interesting. Because it is the understanding that God will empower us to continue in his ways. To empower us to be just, to do what is right, to be loving, to be merciful, and to be good. But it has a second meaning, which is that God also is going to make sure that justice is done in our lives. That goodness is done to us. That we experience mercy from others. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In looking at this text, my eyes were opened when I began to understand the differences between the way that eastern shepherds and western shepherds lead their flock. Western shepherds, we lead our flocks from behind. But Eastern shepherds lead their flock by going before. We know that dark valleys and challenges in life will inevitably come our way. And each and every one of us in this room has experienced them. And many of us are going through them right now. But this part of Psalm 23 tells us that our shepherd has gone before us into that dark valley and he is with us and that he is using his rod and his staff to keep us on the right path and also to protect us. As one commentator put it, and I love it, he said, your rod and your staff, they give me courage. How powerful. 
Yehovah, you give me courage. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. This is one of those verses that I've always struggled with. Because I picture David and all these enemies kind of jeering and picking on him and coming around him. And then a table is set out before him. And it's not exactly time for a snack, or at least it doesn't seem time for a snack. Um, and it seems a little bit like David is kind of, nah, 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 right? Like I just, I've struggled with this text. New Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that whenever we see a table in Scripture, we need to pay attention because it is reorienting us to reality. Now, it's important that we understand that David lived in the midst of a shame-based culture where honor and shame meant a lot. And when his enemies were coming against him, if they defeated David, it was symbolic of the kingdom of God. It was symbolic of God's chosen people being defeated. And that was something that would be very shaming. It would shake him at the very core of his identity. It would place everything about his life, being chosen by God, being anointed king, it would place all of that in a place of questioning. But in the ancient Near East, to be at a king's table was to be placed in a position of honor. To have a cup that overflowed. Even to this day, there are shepherds in the Middle East, and when they have you in their tent and they pour water, they let it overflow, and these are both signs of tremendous honor. So God is saying, David is saying, in the presence of your enemies who are working to take you down, I'm going to elevate you to a position of honor because I am your God and you are my people and I love you. I am committed to you. Your identity in me will not be shaken. And in the midst of this time, he talks about his head being anointed with oil. We know that anointing oil was used in the ancient Near East for cosmetic purposes, but we know that it was also used to consecrate things. David was consecrated, anointed, and made to be king. It is a way of setting apart and identifying one as being set apart for God's purposes. So not only is he going to be elevated and honored, but there's going to be this whole reminder through the anointing that he is set apart for God's purposes. David, your identity is in me. And your calling, that's still solid. And then David wraps up this psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This tells us that as David pursues God's righteousness, as David pursues goodness and mercy, that God's goodness and mercy pursues, pursues, comes after David. 
there is this relentless nature to God's love, right? His goodness, his mercy, his love, and his favor relentlessly pursue us. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In our mind, that may seem like I'm going to go to church and live in the sanctuary forever. Or we begin to think about eternity. And while that's part of this, what is being said here is that in the right here and now, in every moment of every day of my life, now and forever, I will dwell with the one true God who is my shepherd, Yehovah Ra'ah. Do you hear this psalm a little differently now? Is it moving out of the place of being a deathbed psalm for you? Timothy S. Laniac, a scholar who writes about the shepherd metaphor in Scripture, explains that metaphors invite, incite, and induce us to experience a new reality and to make a choice. So what is the reality that God is inviting you to experience today? What is the choice that God is asking you to make today? Is God challenging you to step out of fear and trust that the dream he has placed on your heart is entirely possible because all things are possible in and through Jesus Christ? Is he inviting you to trust that he can use you to be that voice for justice, that voice for change about that issue that is just breaking your heart. The one that you want to get engaged with, but you keep telling yourself that you don't know enough or you're not good enough. Is God inviting you to take steps towards your own healing and to trust him and maybe engage in counseling or recovery? And even though you're afraid to go with courage and believe that God can bring healing and wholeness to your life because that is what our good shepherd does. Friends, where are you afraid today? Where are you struggling? Where are you being held back? Where are you holding yourself back? Because it is precisely in those places, precisely there in the midst of the struggle to trust and to do in spite of all the fear you have, it is in that place that God wants to meet you. It is in that place that God is inviting you to radical trust in him and to live a life of courage and to be brave. So we're going to take just a minute right now and we're going to have a brief moment of reflection. And then after that, we're going to sing a pretty high energy song. First, 
In this time of reflection, I want you to take a moment and to really acknowledge that area of fear that is hindering you, that area of a lack of trust, to get in touch with that. That thing you know that God is asking you to hand over to him, to trust him in. So we're going to take a moment to do that. And then we're going to sing the song. And I want you to sing the song as your battle cry. Knowing who you are in Christ. And knowing that Jesus can make you brave. The one true shepherd who laid down his life for his flock can make you brave. So let's take a moment for reflection. Yehovah Ra'ah. We acknowledge that we are sheep and we can go astray. But God, we ask you today that you would reorient us, that you would fix our eyes on you, our good shepherd. Lord, give us the courage to trust you. Give us the courage to step into those areas of our life that you are asking us to step into. God, do something within us that we cannot do for ourselves. Make us brave. Lord Jesus, I know in a room this size that there are people who are struggling with depression and they're afraid to go to counseling. I know in a room this size, God, that there are people that are struggling with addiction and they don't know what to do. They're afraid to take that step. They've given up. I know that there are also books to be written and speeches to be given and ministries to be birthed, God. And there are people that are struggling to believe that they're good enough. Well, God, we are your sheep. And you are our shepherd. So Yehovah Ra'ah, our shepherd. Today we proclaim that we will follow you. Today we proclaim that we will no longer live in fear, but we will move forward in courage. Lord Jesus, for your glory, for your honor, for your name, make us brave. Amen. about how to go about the business of dying. 
It is a psalm that is about how to go about the business of living, living life. We thank you so much that you go before us with your rod and your staff. That you were willing to lay down your life for us, God, and you did that we could find life in you. Lord Jesus, may we honor our good shepherd. And may your flock be a reflection of you, a good and faithful shepherd. And may we courageously follow you and fulfill our purposes in the world around us. Lord, we thank you for meeting us here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need any assistance with counseling or additional prayer, please go ahead and work your way down to the front. We'll be happy to connect with you. And for fathers, happy Father's Day. If you are a man, grab some root beer on your way out. We'll see you next week.